code is more what you call guidelines than actual rules. Welcome aboard the Black Pearl. Pirates of the Caribbean Minute, a daily podcast where we analyze, scrutinize, and plunder Pirates of the Caribbean films one blimey minute at a time. I'm Scott Artis. And I'm Heather Artis. Thanks for joining us for Minute 26 of The Curse of the Black Pearl. We are honored to be part of the first Goonies Minute Patreon bonus episode that I believe will be available this Saturday for Pele Media patrons. I'll be joining the host of the Goonies Minute, Brady and Chris, as we walk the plank on our top three pirate and pirate-related movies. It will definitely be a blast discussing this swashbuckling genre, so definitely check out Goonies Minute, and for as little as a dollar a month, you can become a Pele Media Patreon supporter and not only get access to Goonies Minute, like the bonus episode I'm going to be on, but Jurassic Park Minute and Ghostbusters Minute bonus shows. As you may recall, we did a little reminiscing a number of episodes back on Pirates of the Caribbean Minute here about Goonies, so it's awesome to be a guest on their show. That is truly awesome. Yeah, I'm pretty excited. You know, who doesn't want to talk about Goonies? It really brings you back to the good old days. You know, the good old days when you didn't actually have to... Work. Yeah, work or pay for things. Your parents did that. Boy, those were the days, huh? That they were. Yeah, you just kicked back and watched Goonies, and then you dreamt of having an adventure like that. Yeah, and we thought school was all so bad. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. <laughs> So let's get back to reality here. Oh, In the previous no. minute, we learned that Will Turner was none other than the original Darth Lord of the Sith, and in fact invented the lightsaber. <laughs> Wait, sorry about that. I started to believe my own crackpot ideas. So let's start that over. In the previous minute, Will Turner instigated a sword fight with Captain Jack Sparrow by preventing his escape from the blacksmith shop. The sword fight and sharp tongue quips commenced with Will pulling a hot red sword from the forge, providing a means for literal sparks to fly. And it culminated in Jack telling Will that perhaps the reason he practices three hours per day is that he already found a girl and was otherwise incapable. Minute 26 begins with Captain Jack Sparrow finishing that line by saying, Of wooing said strumpet. The complete thought being, perhaps the reason you practice three hours per day is that you already found one and are otherwise incapable of wooing said strumpet. He then proceeds to ask Will if he is a eunuch. The minute ends with Will, now standing in the rafters of the blacksmith shop, cutting a rope that is suspending some barrels that promptly fall onto the cart and catapults Jack into the rafters as well. The two jump from beam to beam in an attempt to juggle for position as we find ourselves constrained by the minute's end just before the fight begins. I think we need to begin this minute with the very beginning, with wooing said strumpet. I agree. That was the first thing in my notes. <laughs> so, do we have an idea of who this said strumpet is? I was going to ask you, do you know what a strumpet is? No, I don't know what a strumpet is. If, a girl. Okay, see, that's what I thought. I thought the exact same thing. I thought, okay, it's just like a colloquialism or an idiom for a woman. So, and I was completely wrong on that definition of a strumpet. Really? Oh, yeah. I thought it was a cute name, like I said, for a girl or a woman. Perhaps it's like this innocent idiom of the day, you know, of something in the 18th century. Well, turns out that's not quite the case. It actually means prostitute or harlot. I'm sure glad, because I really wanted to call you a strumpet. And I'm, I'm glad really gl- you didn't. <laughs> yeah, we're all glad, because I don't want to be in the doghouse for that. 
Yeah, I thought, boy, that's a cute little name you could give somebody. And I could say, hey, Heather, you're quite the little strumpeter. It'd be like, you know, something we don't know later on, pop it. But strumpet is kind of where I got it from. So I'm glad I didn't. That would have been bad form for sure, to quote another pirate movie. Yes. Hook. Yeah. So we recently watched, we're watching that, but bad form. So apparently it's a word from the early 14th century, but its origins are a little hazy. One theory suggests it connects with the Latin word stuprata, including the tense stuprere, which means to have illicit sexual relations with, or the Latin word strumpum, which is defined as dishonor or violation. Another theory is that it is Middle Dutch origin, strompen, means to stride or stalk as a prostitute might a customer. Is like a crisis avoided for me that I didn't call you this and that we didn't look it up. I'm glad you did. I didn't do it. And then you looked it up and then you would have been like, whoosh, kind yeah. of a slap on the face over here. I'll just add that to the list of words that are inappropriate nicknames for you. Yeah. <laughs> Could you imagine if you called me that and this uh, listener wrote in to say what it was? <laughs> that, that would be, be awful. Awesome. <laughs> that would be awesome, though. That would have been some good humor. <laughs> glad you looked it up. <laughs> so anyways, you were saying... Before we well, got I take turn. back that because obviously Elizabeth is not a strumpet. You just called her a strumpet. <laughs> That's exactly where you were going I, with I'm that. I'm pulling that back because now obviously I should have looked up the word and figured out what it was. Instead so, of assuming. So I guess that's all we got for today. We'll be back tomorrow. <laughs> If we want to pick up where yesterday left off, I said that this minute actually begins with something that continues to shed light on the personality of Jack. When he finishes the line that he is incapable of wooing the girl that Will has found. By the way, it is really an astute observation by Captain Jack that he can recognize this and he sees that, yeah, maybe Will has some pent up, up, buried (laughs) frustrations going on there for sure. You know, it's just something I think he's picked up on. And well, Captain Jack is kind of a people person. He reads people, uh-huh. just like we saw him doing with Murtog and Mulroy. He's reading them and he's able to decipher, okay, this is what I can get away with and this is what I can't get away with. Well, that and nobody practices sword fighting for three hours a day. Will Turner does. <laughs> he's He sees this and he's he's thinking, okay... Now I can do more of that banter. And it gets back to what you were saying. He's baiting Will. And yeah. He's, he's really trying to get in his head as well. It not only says something about, you know, Jack himself, but also Will. And essentially Jack knows or has this hunch that Will follows the rules that society has put in place. So no matter how ridiculous they may seem, Will is going to kind of abide by those rules. And Jack Sparrow's not necessarily going to do that. And, and we see this here just with this one line that Jack has been, you know, is is really observed is that will might have found a woman but you know although he doesn't really believe that he's a eunuch even though we get that comedic glance down as you're saying that he you know he kind of looks down and goes oh you know what's going on there and but i think that plays into this because it's like that would be the only thing in jack's mind that would stop him from wooing a girl if he really liked the girl and wanted to woo her as he says or pursue her yeah he wouldn't let society dictate hey you're you can't do that and then he just say okay so the only thing in his mind that elevates to that level is yeah you know you're a eunuch and and that's (laughs) why you're not gonna go after her that's your reason yeah because he doesn't play by those rules no and so that and he's observed that will definitely plays by those rules and is gonna be kind of the stand-up person and is gonna you know go by what society says whether that's right or wrong right 
And what proves that Jack doesn't play by those rules is just the looks he was giving Elizabeth. Exactly. When he had him in, had her in his arms. That's right. Exactly. You know, I think that definitely plays into this because he obviously knew she wasn't. She was this higher class, and you know he didn't care. It didn't matter to him. Yeah, because he called her Elizabeth, yeah. and she, you know, and then he kind of goes, "Okay." And and we're not saying that just because he's going to woo somebody that he's going to be successful all the time. But he simply just wouldn't let society dictate his action or Norrington or Governor Swan or Will, right. for instance. But he also is a captain. <laughs> That's true. He's Captain <laughs> Jack Sparrow, as he likes to remind us. This whole thing, I think, is actually part of the mother of all these personality trait tells is that he is a pirate. You know, it's probably enough said with that. It's Pirates don't and are not expected to follow the rules. Freedom to do as they please. He's basically telling Will with his comment, what, don't you just go get her? You know, is that the thing? It's like, what's standing in your way? Why are you practicing swordplay three hours a day? Yeah. And then that's when I expect him to get the googly eyes, like swordplay three hours a day? Like, (laughs) what kind of double entendre is that? (laughs) He didn't really say that. (laughs) We're adding our own comments. It's like Mystery Science Theater 3000 here. We're in the audience. We're watching that. (laughs) Then there's also some more fancy footwork here. And I'm not talking about the close-up like we saw in the previous minute as the sword fight is just about to begin. You know, where they do the zoom in when Jack is is telling him how to, you know, how's your footwork kind of deal. I think it's really just a smart move by the writers all around here. From his off-the-wall comments to his comedic actions, you know, such as like getting his handcuff chain stuck to the beam with Will's sword and then he falls... We're getting a chance to laugh with Captain Jack Sparrow as well as laugh at him. And I think this makes his character more likable and we can't help but root for him or be on our side. Right. Because it's not like you're feeling ill will against Captain Jack here. Oh, no, not at all. And I don't know. He's is it, really a likable character. You know, as we're analyzing this part of the minute, then if we step back and really look at it, do we know that Johnny Depp is going to be the good guy in this or... You know, how, how do we really know that? So it's got to be just the success of the writing and the acting there to tell you this. Because I guess he could play a bad guy. Although I don't know if I've really seen him in too many bad guy roles before. No. So I think it really is just maybe the success of, of how this, you know, is what we're all talking about. Is it, there's these comedic moments. He's We're laughing with him again and laughing at him. And so we really get on his side and we're really hoping that he moves forward but plus we haven't really seen him do anything wrong that we really want to hate him for no not at all i mean he he, saved elizabeth exactly so i mean our first real interaction with him i mean we saw him steal some coins from the harbor master sitting there yeah exactly they're for the taking his charity he made friends with the marines and then they backstabbed him yeah so i mean he's really just been downtrodden poor poor jack sparrow jack and then norrington made fun of him See, so I think that we see that maybe he's a little down on his luck, or that's what our perceived were. You know, when he's when you come in and your boat sinks, you know, you yeah. got to be say down on your luck. So that's how I see it. But I think it's also the same thing that's developed with Will, by the way. You know, although it's not so much of a physical or physically in this minute that we see kind of that comedy or laughing with or at him kind of deal. Or I don't even think we really do a whole lot of that with this whole sword fighting scene, even in, say, Tomorrow's Minute 27 or or what we've seen this week. We haven't looked at 27 yet. I know, but I'm just saying that I'm guessing that we don't, because we haven't seen a lot of stuff where we're really laughing at Will so much. 
And but we do see him as the butt of Jack's jokes. Yes. And we do see his devotion to Elizabeth for wanting to take on this battle with a pirate. And we were hit with the physical comedy part that when he accidentally breaks the wall sconce at the Swan Mansion in the beginning of the movie. So you add this to the shipwreck circumstance and the fact that he loves Elizabeth but is kept at arm's length from her because of Governor Swan, Norrington, and society. So he's really our underdog character. He is. Yeah. Yeah, so we're seeing all of these kind of character developments come, right? You know, so it's a culmination of things that have been building up and now we're seeing it kind of come to fruition in this sword fighting scene. Not just this minute, but in kind of this, this week's whole, whole stuff. Yeah, yeah, the whole week. And we were just talking about, I don't really see Jack as an underdog, though. I, I'm starting to see him as kind of an even Steven character. You know, things just kind of work out for him. And we've talked about this yeah. before, so we're not necessarily going to get into it. But things kind of just work out his way. It may not they be... seem to. A straight line, so there may be some setbacks, and he kind of zigzags back and forth, but he always seems to move forward and get ahead, or at least get out of trouble. Right, and he's a talker, man. He knows how to talk and how to get things his way and turn turn his luck around, you know? Exactly. As we're kind of talking about the writing here, we really can't expand on our discussion yesterday, too, in that this action scene is not action simply to have action, but is a sequence that can be viewed as having this separate story as well. So here we see the blacksmith shop as a story scene that carries a plot as well as characters and character development. It's, I think, sometimes where movies lose or movies lose this kind of whole fighting sequence story. And that's, I think, why you said yesterday that you don't like some of the action scenes or maybe you said sword fighting scenes. I don't remember. No, it's the fighting. Just fighting fighting in general. And so, not action scenes, but yeah, fighting scenes. And I think it's because sometimes they simply lack the story element, which makes them expendable to the movie going forward. So because they don't have that whole kind of story or they don't carry their own plot or story in the, in the fighting scene, then, you know, you could really cut them out and the movie would still move forward. Oftentimes that you're talking about here. We do have that stuff. That's kind of essential to the story and moves the story forward and moves and moves the characters forward. And we really get to know them. The way this is written and the way it's done, it keeps it entertaining. That's you know, right. and you not only have the fighting, you also have Rosie in the background <laughs> going round and round. Yeah, <laughs> we she's can't still forget walking. Rosie. <laughs> yeah, she's definitely still walking. And then they're on this cart, I guess. It's just a cart, right? It doesn't yeah. have a... So they're kind of doing this. They're fighting the on it, act, and they're yeah. doing this teeter-tottering thing on it. Yeah, it's almost like you're balancing kind of good and evil there to a point. And you throw your... <laughs> <laughs> Yes, but there's no good and evil here. Maybe that's why they're maybe Even balanced. Even though you wanted to make Will evil yesterday. They're, they both have some good and some evil in it. That's why it was fairly well balanced. Oh, okay. There you go. There you go. <laughs> he shoots, he scores. <laughs> Ding! <laughs> I wanted to mention, Will has to be a strong man or something. To throw these swords and stick them in wood... As hard as he's sticking them in wood. I mean, Jack's hanging from the sword <laughs> that's hanging from the um, the beam up above him. Yeah. You know, he actually climbed all up. I mean, his whole body is on yeah, the sword. His whole body. Trying to get it, all, get it out. And it's supporting him. Said. Oh, God. <laughs> that's an office reference. Sorry. Go, for it. Go ahead. And it's all supporting him, you know, for a short time. But, I mean, you've got gravity and everything there. I mean, how strong is Will? <laughs> yeah. 
I have never really tried to stick a sword into wood before, so I don't know how difficult it would be to do that. I just don't know. I, yeah. But I got to imagine you have to have some kind of be some, strength there, behind yeah, it to you be able to, 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 to do be it able that to much. Support a man on there. Yeah. You know, and not be able to wiggle it out of that door. Some movie magic. He, maybe. he is a strong man. <laughs> he doesn't look it, but he's a strong man. I don't know if I really want to talk about maybe the elephant in the room with that whole part of this cart scene is that when Jack falls from just uh, maybe three or four feet off the cart and so he fall or he falls from the beam, you know, three yeah. or four feet back onto the cart and Will is on the other side and then Will is launched all the way into the rafters. I'm just not saying I'm buying the physics of that whole this, situation. This isn't physics class. This is comedic relief. Oh, okay. So that's so yeah, we don't I guess we don't want to get into the physics of that. Because he really does like it's not like the part where you see Jack and there's even stretching of the physics for Jack's part where he almost gets to the beam and he holds on with his arms. Yeah. We're seeing that really Will is launched straight up and then lands and balances on the beam. He's, so it's like he's he, he's he shot up. Too. He jumped too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this guy this guy has some serious hops here so maybe we'll just avoid the whole discussion on the on that any further of their ability to leap up there That's but i'm I'm not sure because the minute ends with jack then climbing up fully onto the beam yeah in the rafters and then they're kind of bouncing back and forth from beam to beam trying to get their kind of position if you will you know what it looks like to about the sword fight again but maybe jack should have just dropped back down and then ran for the door to try to pull that sword out again or another exit yeah or or another exit huh but no he climbed he was, up there he was involved at this point in yeah time. he was involved i guess yeah yeah he his adrenaline was going he was involved he was he was focused on that sword fight <laughs> sounds good right <laughs> We'll go with that. So we'll we'll go with a suspension of belief in physics here for right now. And we'll just move forward. Yes. It's a good, it's a good thing. Yeah. So now that we're suspending some belief and kind of the rules of physics, the laws of physics, you know, we can talk about some behind the scenes things. And I just have a few pieces to share. So Rosie the Donkey was not actually written into the script. But according to Terry Rossio and Ted Elliott, was an idea that Gore Verbinski or maybe a production designer had. They couldn't really remember what, who it was, but it wasn't in their script, actually. And, I'm glad they added Rosie. Yeah, because it really does work well. And it adds this interesting movement that kind of does, you know, or works in opposition to the sword fight with Will and Jack. Yeah. They're moving about and doing their sword fighting thing and weaving in and out of some of the stuff that's actually moving around, like the gears and the turnstile. Yeah. Then you have hammers swaying, the bellow is pumping, Rosie is walking in circles, so all of this kind of adds this movement, you it's, know, across the whole the whole screen. It's kind of a dance. Yeah, it is a Through dance. the whole, you know, everything's just going at the same time, but it's all kind of going together. And yeah. Just, just, it totally adds everything. It's like a dance. You know, you know, when you said that, the first thing that popped into my mind, yes, here we go, another gratuitous movie reference, is in the movie Top Secret. I knew that was coming somehow. Yeah, I knew that because they're, you know, they have they show a close up of like the Nazis doing the goose step or something like that in that movie, and then all of a sudden they break into like a chorus line kick <laughs> thing. So when you said dance, I could just see them. I was just now, now I 
can only picture when we like zoom in on their feet that they're going to then start to do like a <laughs> a dance. You can't even come up with one. You won't even help me. So I'm really just waiting for them to zoom in and look at their feet that they're going to start doing some kind of dance with each other. So that's all I can picture now. Thanks for that. And then the other thing that I had is that Jerry Bruckheimer said that Orlando Bloom and Johnny Depp worked for months with Bob Anderson, who we talked about yesterday, the sword master on the movie. And he sword won- master. That's right. And he wanted to instill that everyone had their own sense of character when fighting. I think that really works. And so we didn't have everybody doing cookie cutter moves and, and looking the same. But really, we had everybody staying true to their character, especially with like, you know, Sparrow and Turner. Yeah. And Jack and his little flamboyant ways of even even when he's fighting, he's still got his arms kind of in the way he walks. And you can still see his flamboyant personality come out. Yeah, everybody has their own unique mannerisms when they're doing it. And yeah. I think that that really shows well. So it just goes to show you all the different training and how much training actually went into that. In this minute, you actually see a tattoo on Orlando's wrist, his right wrist as he's a fighting. A gunpowder spot, you mean? Yeah, gunpowder spot. <laughs> actually, this is a t- tattoo he got when he was filming Lord of the Rings. Oh, really? Yeah, and the tattoo is actually a nine, spelled out nine, in Elvish. Oh, really? Yeah. <gasps> Wait. What? This really backs up our backs up my theory about him <laughs> being Legolas, and he just now has moved through time, and he's just lived this long, and now he's he's in the 17th or the 18th century. Yes, it does. Oh, I, I really have to write this out now because if we have actual elfish or elvish, elvish. not elvish, is it's got to be elfish because <laughs> elvish, <laughs> elfish is a whole different, elvish is a whole different thing, right? <laughs> I so wanted to break out an Elvis song, but I couldn't think of one for the life of me right now. I can't even think of what he normally is. It's like. Ugh. It's not coming. So you guys all just got saved from us trying to do an Elvis impersonation here. <laughs> Literally, Elvis has left the building now because we just can't even think of one. So we're, we'll just leave it at that. But I do have more ammunition for my theory, and I'll have to start to write this out and put it together now that Heather's brought this to my attention. I'll have to look for that because if it's in the movie, then we're gold here. Man, poor form on us forgetting the, an Elvis song that we could break out and, and sing. <laughs> I know that all will save your guys' ears from bleeding, so that's always <laughs> <Yeah>. good news. <laughs> So this tattoo is actually on nine of the actors from Lord of the Rings. Wow, they all got matching tattoos. Yeah, it was the nine of the fellowship. Oh, very cool. Yeah, so they all got the matching tattoos. I don't know if we can top evidence of my theory, so I'm just going to actually call this episode good, and then I'm going to get to the drawing board here and really start to map this out. And then I know everybody's just waiting to hear what I have to say on that, and they're probably going... Jeez, my God, again. But anyways. <laughs> this minute will be called Legolas turns into Wildem Turner <laughs> due to traveling through time. <laughs> Joyce, that's a long title. That's why she doesn't do the titles. So don't forget to leave a comment, ask a question, or share your thoughts and theories. Give us a ring and leave a message on our new hotline at 8637-PIRATE. We'll be back tomorrow with Minute 27 of The Curse of the Black Pearl and Friday's segment, Really Bad Eggs, on the Pirates of the Caribbean Minute. Until then, let's keep the horns swoggling and sword fighting to a minimum. Drink up, me hearties!
for joining us on Pirates of the Caribbean Minute. If you like the show, then leave us a review on iTunes. We'd appreciate it, matey. You can contact us at podcast at blackpearlminute.com. We just might feature your questions and comments on future episodes. Visit us online at blackpearlminute.com. You can also find us on facebook.com slash Pirates of the Caribbean Minute, twitter.com slash blackpearlmen, and on soundcloud.com slash Pirates of the Caribbean, where we post additional content, have episode discussions, and share our favorite show clips. Now see you next time, scallywags.